you guys. It's another installment of Flickers of Fear. Doing some Christmas movies this week, obviously, because Christmas is later on this week. So 2021's Red Snow. This was another movie that I came across completely randomly. Uh, I'll note that there was another movie that was called Red Snow that I think came out in 2019, but it's not this one. That one wasn't a horror movie. I think it was more like an action thriller type of thing. So don't get them confused. Uh, but yes, this one came out in 2021. And this was, you know, like I said, I just came across it randomly. I was browsing through some internet lists, like looking for best new Christmas horror movies because I was looking for some different ones like to review that I hadn't seen. So Red Snow, I went into it completely blind, as I usually like to do, as I've mentioned many times on this channel before. And I'm going to say, like, I'm not going to lie, like, for the first few minutes of the movie, I thought that my sort of cavalier movie-choosing strategy was going to end up biting me in the ass. Uh, that's only because I hadn't realized that Red Snow was, A, a vampire movie, which, eh, I'm not, like, a huge fan of, and B, set up almost like a supernatural rom-com and kind of like playing out similarly to that at first. Not exactly, but it had like that kind of vibe to it. But I stuck with it and I'm actually like really glad I did because it ended up being pretty delightful. Now, don't go into this expecting like a balls to the wall, like holiday bloodbath or anything like that. It definitely does go in a more horror-y direction, like in the third act, and it does have some gore and things like that. But it leans pretty heavily into the comedy end of the scale more than horror. So just know that going in so you won't go in like expecting that it's going to be a slasher or something like that because it's not. So Red Snow, at least according to IMDb, uh, seems to be the second feature-length effort from the writer-director Sean Nichols Lynch, whose previous credit, like his uh, first feature-length film that he wrote and directed was called Prep School that came out in 2015, and he did like a bunch of short films as well. I think he has another movie uh, upcoming. Although I will admit that I didn't really recognize a lot of the actors here, um, you know, because this is like fairly low budget, but they all did like a mostly great job, uh, particularly the two leads who I really liked. But one actor that's in this that pretty much everyone <laughs> will immediately recognize is Vernon Wells, who has a small role in this movie as like a vampire hunter type character. So Vernon Wells, as pretty much every movie nerd knows, is an Australian character actor who's been in millions of things, but is probably best known because he's like iconic for his performances in The Road Warrior, like, you know, Mad Max 2, Weird Science, uh, and as the legendary Bennett from the 1985 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Commando. So this guy is, uh, is in it and he's fantastic. Um, I kind of wish he'd been in it a bit more, but even his brief appearance is wonderful. I mean, I love that guy and he's great in this. So this movie uh, premiered in August of 2021 at London Fright Fest, and it actually seemed to like garner a lot of positive buzz as it sort of made its way around the horror festival film circuit. Uh, you know, and it got a bunch of awards like Audience Choice Awards and, you know, Best Actor Nods and things like that before it uh, ended up landing on several streaming platforms in December of 2021. Uh, as of this recording, you can watch the movie for free, I think on Vudu and also on Plex. That would probably have commercials. And uh, you can also watch it for free if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, which I do. So that's what I watched it on. So at the beginning of the story, we're introduced to a young woman named Olivia, who's played by Denise Cisneros. And she's like obsessed with vampires. And she's also aspiring to be like a vampire romance novelist type of thing. 
she hasn't been having too much success in that regard, though, uh, you know, because she has like a big drawer full of rejection letters, uh, but she seems kind of like determined, you know. So for the first little bit of the movie, we're just kind of like watching her go about her what seems to be like a very quiet and isolated life. She lives in this sort of remote cabin uh, in Lake Tahoe, which we find out later was like left to her by her mother who only died like a year or so previously. So Christmas is only a few days away. Um, so they kind of like measure the days by her taking little candies out of her little advent calendar. Now, Olivia does seem like pretty content. I mean, she just kind of putters around this very cozy cabin, uh, reading a book of vampire stories, which is a book that I actually called one, uh, I think it's called one, hundred little vicious little vampire stories or something uh which is a book that i also own she has the hardback i have the paperback i have a bunch of those series they uh, had them from they sold them at barnes and noble i think but yeah so i just kind of laughed when i saw it. i was like hey i have that book too but yeah so that's kind of funny so she's like reading that she's working on her novel watching nosferatu like on her laptop the original silent one or you know drinking peppermint tea by the christmas tree which is actually decorated with a bunch of plastic vampire fangs so like i said she's really really into vampires now, like I said, she does seem kind of like happy with her life, but we sense that she might be maybe just like a little bit lonely. Um, she talks to her sister, like you never see the sister in the movie, but she talks to her on the phone a couple times. Um, like her sister who's married and has three kids, kind of calls her on the phone and is like, oh, I think it's really unhealthy for you to isolate yourself up there, especially during the holidays. Like, you know, you're, you know, my kids miss you and all this other kind of stuff. So maybe you should, you know, not squirrel yourself away up there. Now, we as the audience already know that there are some vampire shenanigans afoot because we've seen a trio of vampires kind of in action, like out in the woods, presumably close to where this cabin is. Uh, Olivia, though, obviously is clueless to the danger until one night when a wounded little bat uh, slams into the window of her cabin. Now, she's a little squicked out or like a little afraid of it, but, you know, it's a bat. She loves vampires and she's, you know, she loves animals, presumably. So she just gingerly like scoops up the little fella and puts him in a shoebox, uh, giving him some water and, you know, tending his wound with like a little teeny band-aid, which I thought was really funny. So she leaves the bat in the shoebox, like in the garage overnight. Imagine her surprise then when she walks into the garage the next morning to find an attractive and very naked man uh, lying on the floor in the midst of all these torn like cardboard remnants of the shoebox that he, you know, clearly busted out of. Uh, he has like a pretty nasty looking wound in his side. And when he kind of turns around to look at her, it's immediately clear that he is uh, a creature of the night. He's got the white eyes, he's got fangs, he's got the deathly pallor, the whole deal. Now, Olivia is obviously freaked out by this, but um, recovers her aplomb, like, fairly quickly. Uh, she loves vampires, remember, and she is, like, super jacked to find out that vampires are actually real, and she has one in her garage. So she brings the vampire, uh, who eventually reveals that his name is Luke. He's played by Nico Bellamy. Uh, she brings him some clothes. Uh, all she has is women's clothes because it's from, like, her mom's, it's her mom's old stuff. So for a long time, like, this supposedly, like, scary creature of the night is wearing, like, you know, kind of like a dress and a coat, like, old lady clothes, you know what I mean? Um, and she also goes to the butcher shop and brings back little tubs of, like, pig's blood for him to drink, like, so his wounds can heal up. Because, like I said, he's been wounded. 
she even this is very funny i don't know why i thought this was so funny but um she even goes so far as to like heat the blood up in the microwave like in a mug like tea and she like brings it to him on a tray like it's all very genteel and it's like that kind of cracked me up now he does complain that the pig's blood is gross like you know just it's nothing compared to like human blood but you know despite all the grumbling he does actually seem grateful for her help because he's actually too weak to go back out into the world on his own so olivia who like i said is very excited uh she immediately just starts plying luke with questions about like you know the vampire rules she's like you know all the different fictional vampires like have all these different rules so what are the real ones you know like can you walk around in the daytime or are you bothered by crosses or garlic or something like that so luke is initially kind of like scoffs at her like thinking she's kind of naive and she's being like really she's all like ooh like you know wondrous and he's just like uh okay whatever but eventually like over time he kind of starts to warm to her a little bit and starts kind of telling her what she wants to know now she does actually allow him to stay in the garage but she sort of like locks him in there at night because she can't quite trust him to like vamp out on her like while she's sleeping he claims he tells her that he doesn't actually kill people he just drinks some of their blood and leaves them alive but she isn't really sure if she believes this you know she just met the guy after all so she's like well you can stay out here locked in the garage until until I can trust you, you know. Meanwhile, uh, a man named Julius King, who is the aforementioned Vernon Wells, he turns up on her doorstep not too long after Luke's arrival, claiming that he's a private investigator um, on the trail of three very dangerous criminals, uh, one of which, of course, is Luke. So Olivia, even though she's, you know, just met him, really, she actually covers for Luke, but Julius is pretty suspicious that Olivia knows more about this than she's letting on. So he decides he's going to remain in the area and just kind of like, you know, stay like lay low for a little while and just like watch and see what develops. Luke's other two vampire companions, uh, it should also be noted, are also lurking around in the woods, keeping an eye on Luke from afar, like, as he recovers in the care of this new human friend that he has acquired. So, for a while, as I mentioned earlier, the movie plays out almost like a supernatural rom-com, like a, you know, like a comedic kind of uh, situation. It's a ridiculous situation, but it's kept pretty low-key, but it's still, like, kind of funny. You know, and you have the whole thing where this where Luke, who's a vampire, and he's initially, like, very gruff and pissy and everything like that, but he slowly kind of starts to soften toward her, and is ultimately kind of charmed by her enthusiasm, like, about finding out that vampires are real, and her, like, being willing to defend him, and, like, you know, things like that. So, it appears, uh, you know, as the movie goes on, that the two of them might be developing something of a romance, Um, and it comes to a point, too, where Luke actually reads... Uh, Olivia's novel that she's working on, like her manuscript, which is very cringingly titled Touched by a Vampire. And uh, he starts to like give her encouragement about it, but he also gives her like a lot of constructive criticism about like how she can improve it. So I have to say like the best aspects of the movie are the interactions between like Olivia and Luke. They're funny and like sort of sweet, but they're also kind of like tinged with you know, just this very perilous uncertainty, right? Because, you know, for example, Luke tells Olivia that Julius King, the guy that came looking for him, is a vampire hunter who works for this very shady, like, almost, like, quasi-fascist organization, and their mission is to wipe out every magical creature on Earth, like unicorns and shit like that, um, including the sadly now extinct 
candy elves. And he's like, yeah, they're as cool as they sound. You know what I mean? So it's like that made me laugh out loud. Um, and he also says that Julius was the one that shot him, like at the beginning of the movie, like like I said, because he was a wounded bat, like against the window. And that he had used like a crossbow that was dipped in holy water. So that's why it wounded him so badly. And again, like Luke claims that I don't really kill people. I just drink blood from them. And he makes... What sounds like the very reasonable point is like, hey, if I had to murder people every night to feed, like, I'd be leaving corpses scattered all over the West Coast and, like, people would start to notice, right? But the thing about it that's really good about this is how much of what he tells Olivia is true, how much of what Julius King tells her is true. Like, how much is Luke maybe playing into Olivia's romantic fantasies about vampires in order to you know, get his own needs met. He obviously needs somewhere to hole up. He needs somebody that's going to defend him. He needs somebody that's going to help him until he's healthy enough to go back out on his own and stuff like that. So maybe he's just like stringing her along. And what exactly is going to happen too when Olivia, you know, to her kind of like, again, romantic notions about vampires, when the vampire hunter and possibly Luke's undead companions like inevitably come calling or come to get him. So this was actually like a pretty fun little movie. Um, I'm not usually, as I mentioned, a big fan of vampire movies, with some exceptions to that, of course, or of horror comedies with, like, more of a rom-com kind of edge, but this one is actually, like, pretty lovable, um, and definitely went, like, in a more gory horror direction toward the end of it. Um, it was really difficult, like, not to like Olivia's character. Um, she was very, like, nerdy and very earnest, and she was genuinely so excited at, like, meeting a real live vampire, and it, that kind of made you, it was, like, really infectious, like, it made you kind of excited about it, too, like, because she was so excited. And, uh, and Luke is really, like, the perfect foil to that. He's just kind of, like, playing the sort of, like, reluctant love interest, uh, sort of character, and he plays that really well. Um, I have to say, I didn't really love the other two vampires, uh, whose names are Jackie and Brock. Uh, they're played by Laura Kennan and Alan Silva, respectively. I thought they were a little bit too, like, over the top and a little bit try-hard. Like, they were trying too hard to be, like, you know, mean vampires and, like, too, like, like that. And I thought they went a slightly too far in that direction. But I didn't really mind it all that much, um, because really their appearance sort of, like, signals the start of the third act, which is a lot more bloody and gory and more horror-based, you know? So, you know, if you like Christmas set horror comedies and in particular want to see one that kind of like gently skewers the whole vampires as romantic heroes kind of trope, um, and it did go in some directions I didn't quite expect, uh, then this one I think will we'll probably like nicely fit the bill. Besides that, it has kind of like a really nice cozy, very snowy holiday vibe, which was, you know, really appealing for this time of year. Don't expect an out and out horror film though. Um, it, like I mentioned, it unspools mostly as kind of like a horror tinged romantic comedy for about the two thirds, the first two thirds of it. Um, in tone, as a matter of fact, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the 2016 movie Colossal that I talked about on this series a while back. You know, that the one where Anne Hathaway was in it, she was an alcoholic and her actions like controlled the rampages of like a kaiju like on in Tokyo or something like that. So the tone of that was kind of similar, like the humor of that was kind of similar, even though Red Snow is much bloodier and more overtly horror than Colossal was, but the sense of humor is kind of similar. So if you liked Colossal, then you might like Red Snow as well. So, you know, just brew up some peppermint tea and uh, maybe give it a spot on your Christmas horror rotation give it a shot and if you do let me know what you thought about it in the comments and that will do it for this flickers of fear and i'll see you guys again on the next one bye